Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. ESG has become established as a key business theme as companies and investors seek to navigate the climate crisis, energy transition, social megatrends, mounting regulatory attention, and pressure from other stakeholders. The rapidly evolving landscape has become inundated with acronyms, buzzwords, and lingo, and we aim to break this down with industry experts. Welcome to ESG Currents, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence your guide to navigating the evolving ESG space one topic at a time. I am Shaheen Contractor, Senior ESG Strategist and your host for today's episode. Today we're going to be speaking with Nikita Singhal who heads Lazard's ESG team and we're going to be talking about how one can navigate a career in ESG and sustainability, something actually that I've been excited to host for, for a very long time. And we're going to talk about key skills needed, gaps, and really how one can navigate this at, at different career stages. And Nikita, it's you know it's it's great to dig into this with someone who's built a successful career, but I think is also keen to share the knowledge on. So so really, thank you for joining us. My my pleasure to be here, Shaheen. Thank you, Nikita. So maybe before we dig in, just just a quick introduction into you and your role. Sure. Um, so I am the co-head of sustainable investing and ESG at Lazard Asset Management. We're about a $220 billion uh, global asset manager. Um, and so my role is um, sort of twofold, really focused on helping us integrate ESG across all of the key functional areas of our business, uh, most importantly, research and portfolio management. Uh, but then also thinking about it from a client perspective and creating solutions and increasing amount of uh, diversity of solutions for our clients around the world. Cool. Um, so Nikita, I, I feel like you get these questions around career all the time, right? And I want to sort of break it down into what I call three career stages. So you have in an early career where someone's just trying to break into the ESG or sustainable, sustainability realm. You have mid-career, which is you know, a person who, after years of, of, of working, decides that ESG is their passion and they want to transition into that. And then the third one is, you know, seasoned ESG professional with maybe decades of work experience who's, who's asking the question, what next? And I think my first question sort of covers all three career stages, but 
could you give us a landscape or sort of an overview of the different types of ESG roles out there? You know, especially early on, I feel like people come to me and say they want to do sustainability, but when I ask them what, they're not sure, which is perfectly okay. But telling them the range of options really helps. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is a question I get all the time from especially college graduates, yeah. people doing their master's uh, in a variety of topics, but increasingly master's in sustainability across uh, many of the top universities around the world. And the way I like to approach the question is really to firstly state that, you know, ESG and sustainability are not monolithic concepts. Uh, they can mean very different things and they can apply to almost every industry and every functional area. Um, and so finding, um, you know, that intersection between your functional expertise or a specific industry expertise and where sustainability is applicable to that would perhaps be my, my first go-to. But to give you a little bit of the lay of the land, and this will be a longer explanation, so please stop me if, uh, if, if there, I need to <laughs> go give for it, go uh, for more it. or less detail. But I like to think of it as, uh, you know, real world sustainability opportunities in terms of jobs and then on the financial markets mm. um, and or you know, just broader capital markets. Um, so on the real world side, there are tons of opportunities in corporate sustainability roles. And the way I like to think about this is um, enterprises or corporations around the world are really the biggest levers of impact in the world today, positive and negative. And so if you are looking to try to have a positive impact through your work, it's one of the best uh, mechanisms is to really go work for a corporation. This could be a large publicly traded corporation like Pepsi uh, or Unilever. Unilever works with over 500,000 smallholder farmers around the, their world, uh, around the world to have a more sustainable uh, uh, supply chain in terms of their ag commodities that they purchase. Um, and there are companies all the way through to uh, traditional technology companies and social media companies. Um, they're all grappling with different sustainability issues that you can choose to become an expert in, whether it's supply chain for a more manufacturing or consumer-based uh, company, or whether it is uh, data science and, uh, you know, at a company like Bloomberg. Cool. So what I'm hearing is sort of the company level, but then you also have the financial world. Can you take a bit deeper into that? That's right. And, you know, that is an area that I'm obviously more familiar with, having spent the, the last 15 plus years in this space. Um, and I, I started out my career in more traditional, you know, investment banking uh, at Goldman Sachs, uh, interesting in, interestingly in their natural resources department. So very good fit. But I think the way I try to cut up the landscape is, um, you know, thinking about it as, along the spectrum of investment, investing dollars. And there on one end of the spectrum are asset owners and there are asset owners of different ilks you have foundations uh, foundations that we have probably all heard of like the ford foundation the rockefeller foundation uh, a small family foundation that i used to work for, for called the heron foundation mm -hmm. And the reason they're interested in ESG and sustainability today is because they've recognized that in many ways their grant making is one silo and their investments are another. And their investments may actually be creating the very problems that their grant making is trying to solve. And so how can they align their investments to be more in line with their overall mission, whether it's poverty alleviation, whether it's better healthcare outcomes, whether it's climate change mitigation, 
how can they invest that in traditional asset classes and public companies and corporate debt and private equity venture capital uh, while still being aligned with their mission and hopefully generating positive impact as well. So that's a really interesting vertical for those of you, you know, uh, interested in sustainability careers to look into. And alongside that are other large institutional investors like pension funds. This could include public pension funds like CalPERS, CalSTRS, uh, the New York City Pension Fund. It can also include uh, large insurance companies that are looking to match their long-dated liabilities with investments that are durable and inherently, therefore, have to take into consideration long-term risks and opportunities like sustainability risks. So that's another big uh, chunk of, of types of institutions that one can work for. Um, As we move along that value chain from asset owners, we get to the intermediaries. And these are, I often think about that as the biggest banks on Wall Street that have wealth management arms, asset management arms, investment banking arms. Um, And you could do, you know, a spectrum of roles within that. But this would be, you know, large companies like Morgan Stanley, Barclays, uh, B of A, etc., or BAML. As we move down the spectrum again, within that we go to advisors and consultants. And there is a whole spectrum of institutions like Cambridge Consulting, McKinsey, that are providing advice both to corporations as well as to asset owners and asset managers on how they can incorporate sustainability and ESG issues into their investment philosophy or just into their corporate strategy. And then finally, we come to asset managers like us at Lazard Asset Management and the many others out there across asset classes. So depending on your interests, if you're interested in early stage investing, you might be looking at early stage venture capital all the way through to late stage to growth equity, private equity, corporate debt. You know, you can go through the spectrum, private equity and uh, public equities as well. Um, And Within that, there are so many different roles on the investing side. So that's the full spectrum. Um, The two things that I would add outside of that but sit very adjacent to it, one is uh, below market rate uh, investment uh, institutions, and these could be social enterprises, either in their business model or in their financial models or the way they're raising capital, Uh, microfinance, the large number of development finance institutions, uh, not necessarily below market rate on that end, but with very clear impact goals. So this would be um, the World Bank or IFC, another institution I worked for, uh, as well as institutions like EBRD or the Asian Development Bank, ADB. Um, and you have the the most important, but perhaps the, uh, the body of institutions that helps this entire engine function well, uh, which is all the data analytics providers and, and, and um, uh, really software providers for this space. So that includes organizations and index providers like MSCI, Sustainalytics, ISS. Uh, You have new age companies if you're interested in data science and ESG like Clarity AI. S&P, of course, is a significant player in this space, and Morningstar, and uh, we cannot forget to mention Bloomberg. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I thought you presented sort of three dimensions, right? You have the the company level, you have the financial sort of arm, I I guess both sit at opposite ends, right? And then you have the intermediaries who sort of serve both, Mm -hmm. I guess, in terms of support and in terms of data, data and analytics. So that's really, really a good spectrum. Let's dig straight in. You know, 
an entry level person coming straight out of college i guess what advice would you give them in terms of skills that they need to build or really how to approach a sustainability career in other words you know if you were hiring for somebody what what would you look for yeah and i i think it's a very difficult question because you know many many people i know in this space are still uh asking themselves yeah. that question and and also rediscovering what their you know passions are likely to be for the sure. next decade um also it it i should say that the space is evolving so rapidly um despite you know many of us have done this for 15 20 years but relative to the history of financial markets ESG is very nascent and so it's ra- it's evolving at a very rapid pace um so it's okay to question what you're doing and to constantly you know evolve with that um i think the response that i often think about for people just getting out of college is uh to think of your building your career like a T so the letter T where you have one area that's providing you with breadth of knowledge around uh, around a specific topic and then you have the the spine of the T which is gives you a depth of knowledge in one particular area amongst those breadth of of topics um and the breadth and uh, and the spine can be interchangeable in terms of industry or function So you might for example pick uh sustainability as a broad area of interest and the way you go deep is by learning how to audit companies and uh because there's going to be a huge market for being able to trace sustainability claims whether for corporations or for financial markets as you as you described and so you develop that depth of expertise in accounting and you do your masters you get your CPA you go work for a large company like an EY or a Deloitte Uh, or one of the big auditing firms but then you have a breadth of knowledge around sustainability topics um and and that's how you can you know one approach or you could also do the very opposite where your depth of knowledge is in sustainability but you have a a broad uh skill set and i think that's kind of my example where my broad skill set is having always been an investment analyst starting out in traditional investment banking then doing private equity infrastructure investing uh then working on manager due diligence for a family foundation and then lastly being a fundamental equity analyst covering renewable energy companies so my broad skill set was um how do you figure out the financial productivity and valuation of companies how do you build models and have a, have an investment thesis uh, but then within that my depth has always been sustainability where that's the differentiator that is the lens that i apply to my investment analysis and the way that i think i can help provide a differentiated view and generate alpha for the clients i'm i'm working with so i would position it as as both ways this breadth and then the depth and then the depth a question i get asked very often again from recent graduates is you know should we start in a more broad skill set like finance or is it more worthwhile to dig straight into ESG you know you're limiting your career in the future by digging straight into ESG or are you sort of limiting it by not getting that depth and i feel yeah. like it depends on the person but I think it depends on the the topic because ESG like we just discussed is not one topic sure. right so yes if you say you know I'm going to spend my dedicate my career to understanding biodiversity um you know that that could be a bit tricky because that maybe is an issue that yeah. goes in and out of favor 
But at the same time, I've seen people who've stuck with things they believe in and become such an expert where you're then, you know, kind of in an N of one and you're the only person that people want to go to when that topic becomes important and relevant. And you can find ways to connect it to different issues. So as the issue of a more circular economy starts to rise, which seems like more of a uh, structural uh, trend rather than, a, you know, a, a something that's fashionable, uh, biodiversity is intrinsic to that yeah. uh, and you can find applications in many different ways uh, one of the um, types of institutions I forgot to mention in the uh, you know t- kinds of jobs you can pursue is is in the academic field and there is uh, some amazing research that is being done by some of the largest universities around the world um, and you could go mm-hmm. work for them or a uh, associated think tank or a organization that does just really good thought leadership in this space. Um, there are a number of organizations that support uh, sustainability and ESG, especially in financial markets uh, like SASB. Yeah, uh, yeah. C- you have you have people on your team that that have come yep. from SASB, um, CDP, formerly the Carbon Disclosure Project. Um, organizations uh, like IIGCC, uh, PRI, of course, the Principles for Responsible Investing, and sometimes there are also. Um, you know, individual efforts that are research efforts that are created over time that can evolve into being much bigger things. And one example is uh, the um, uh, PRI-sponsored inevitable policy response, Um, and they're doing some incredible research. And so there's lots of opportunities to get involved. Um, I do think you're coming back to your original question, Having uh, a deep functional skill set is as important as having subject matter knowledge. And so you might have a lot of subject matter knowledge in a particular ESG topic. Uh, Let's say, for example, it's uh, climate change adaptation. And you've studied physical risks and what kinds of adaptation technologies are likely to be beneficial or useful in the next, you know, coming decades. Um, Frightening thought, but, you know, (laughs) something that I think is uh, we're going to need intellectual horsepower to to figure that out. Um, But how are you going to make that useful to the world, right? And so having a functional skill set, whether it's an investment skill set, whether it's uh, somebody who can research and write, somebody who is um, really great on in media and can be out there, you know, telling the stories um, on Bloomberg Media. So functional skill set sounds like something that, you know, even if you remove ESG, that is still your base, right? Like be it accounting or investment analysis or journalism or writing. I think that's what you're trying exactly. to get at. So yes. that that's actually really important because I feel like I asked you the question, right, ESG or a traditional finance like, kind of skill set, but I feel like as long as you have that functional skill set, you can do what you want, right? Yeah, Even I mean, today or in the future. I think you've seen that in your career, yeah. right, Shine? Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you've u- developed your functional skill set over the years. And sure, yeah, yeah. I think, I think when it comes to functional skill set, mine would be data analytics and just being able to manipulate large data and synthesize it. And I think you're right. Being able to do that doesn't limit me to ESG, like being able to do that for ESG. And somebody actually told me this a very, very long time back, and tell me if it resonates with you, but they said, Shaheen, the only way to decide if you want to do ESG research is remove the ESG part of it. 
Do you yes. want to do research? Did you tell me this or am I? I don't remember. <laughs> did you tell me? <laughs> But they said remove the ESG <coughs> because over time, like you can think ESG and impact and everything is exciting and it is and it adds that level of passion to what you do. But over time, it does give way a little bit. So as long as you like that functional skill set and you're not completely bored with it, you can do what you do for a long time. I, I think that's like the best piece of advice okay. you can give someone. Maybe you give it no, to I, me. <laughs> I will not take credit <laughs> for that. But it sounds like I, I've, I've often thought of it that way. And I also think of it in the context of if you're looking, you know, if, if uh, the reason you're interested in ESG or sustainability is coming from some sort of like really deep seated desire to have an impact in the world, you have to realize that that impact will only happen not out of good intentions, but it'll only come from, you know, really rigorous work that can be evidenced, yeah. uh, work that's well researched, work that's backed off very strong functional skill sets, whether it's investing or, or research or data analytics. Mm. And if you don't have that, then everything else falls apart. So the way you can actually, one of the best ways we can ensure that sustainability efforts are successful is to have very high quality, um, very experienced people from different functional skill sets sure. coming together to, to solve these problems. That makes sense. And I guess when it comes to gaps in the market, I really like that functional skill set. So what do you see as a major gap in terms of either functional skill sets or a knowledge base? I mean, I think in the last five years, it's been such a a rapid change yeah. of interest in ESG and some of it is um, it's a few different things probably at play one is uh, you know post the global financial crisis recognizing we can't just be focused on assessing financial capital we have to think about pricing in human and natural capital uh, part of it is a next generation Uh, mm -hmm. that is very conscientious about planet and people and not just economic growth that is divorced from understanding, you know, externalities. Um, and I think part of it is uh, a understanding of how these issues are actually getting priced into the market. So we have now today so many examples of where ESG issues are impacting uh, the financial productivity of companies and their valuations that it is but it is nothing but a market issue mm -hmm. so that's driven so much of excitement in the field and it's then therefore attracted people from many many different backgrounds so I don't see as much of a concern about a gap. What I do see is that people tend to have siloed interests right so you have individuals coming to this with a very um, A, a very intensive financial skill set, or you have others coming to it with a very strong sustainability background, and you then don't appreciate the relevance of the other person's background okay. or their skills. And so the best thing advice that I give to people who are especially those starting out, or maybe even some mid-career individuals, is to make sure you have a footing in both. You have an understanding of the science, you have an understanding of key sustainability issues mm -hmm. uh, from a planet and people perspective and then you're grounded in the under uh, no in whatever your functional skill set is uh, whether it's financial markets understanding or or data analytics but you need to have expertise in both that is what's most rare you're right i i feel like sometimes both worlds and i'm going to call them different worlds mm -hmm. they 
they can't speak to each other. Yes. And I find <laughs> the people that are the most successful are those that can speak the world of finance but also speak the world of sustainability and ESG. Yeah, I think it's the world of translators really. I I often think of my job as being that translator okay. where, you know, when I'm with a group of people in sustainability, they say, "Okay, she's part of our tribe." And then I'm with a group of individuals where we're just talking markets and investment opportunities and mm. I feel part of their tribe too. And I think that's the best because uh, that's when you can get them to speak to each other and re- and actually hopefully over time help people realize it's one world yeah <laughs> and, yeah and and uh it's only if we work together that we can um really do this at scale that's true and my next question is a slightly more recent phenomenon where i've been getting this question about the political backlash and whether it's even worth considering a career in the space i mean yeah. i'm talking about early on individuals just out of school and they worry right that you know their career either has a dead end or they're getting to something that will not be as marketable in the future i don't believe yeah. them but yeah. how it's a fair it's a it's fair, a fair concern. concern of course but as an as a person who's early on in your career how do you balance and navigate that yeah i mean look if my children ask me that question right yeah. i think yeah. about it that way because sure. i'm completely like from their perspective my advice would well firstly i would caveat it with saying that i think what's happening with esg right now particularly in the us uh, but also to some extent in europe and for very different reasons is a very healthy reckoning right? we've gone through a very rapid increase in interest in esg in the us um this has resulted in concerns that maybe we're investing in ways that is that are divorced from our fiduciary responsibilities maybe we are you know virtue signaling in some and yeah. and and some could be accused of, and perhaps proven to be doing that uh, that's not the flavor of ESG that i believe in i define it ESG as discovering and pricing ESG environmental social and governance risks and opportunities uh, from the perspective of an investment analyst um but also in europe what has happened is there's been such a productization of ESG mm. where you have hundreds if not thousands of ESG impact sustainability labeled products you know this well you've yeah, yeah. covered all the the ETFs with all their flavors um that um there's a concern that a lot of it is just greenwashing and with no real impact uh either on uh, you know real world uh, outcomes in terms of uh, you know greener planet or healthier healthier planet uh or uh having better long-term financial returns mm-hmm. so i understand the backlash it's it's not surprising it. yeah, um it. having said that what i what i would tell my children or any young professionals is that regardless of the labels regardless of the productization uh, think about the underlying trends that are driving this and that is unlikely to go away so this huge question about the pace and the depth of the energy transition as we start to increasingly feel the effects of the physical risks of climate change mm-hmm. that is likely to change consumer perception uh, around the world not just in Europe that could drive regulation uh, there's uh, you know really good research on likely policy scenarios in the future uh, as we start to see these effects grow in in scale and in severity um and uh, the 
beyond climate change, other sustainability issues like healthier living habits, uh, worker rights. Uh, these are issues in a society that is um, very quick to respond because, partially because of media and social media mm-hmm. in particular. Um, companies are not going to be able to get away with uh, creating significant negative externalities, and those are going to create risks for themselves. And companies that are able to deal with it, or I would say provide solutions, are going to see huge opportunities. So, um, you know, it's, it, it can be a significant uh, disruptive force just sure. as an economic force. And uh, you don't have to call it ESG or sustainability. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what you're saying is climate change isn't waiting for the political backlash to calm down, right? Its impacts are going to continue. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for those of you interested, like, read the research you yeah. know um the whether it's bloomberg green articles that come out the research that you put out on the product front uh, but also research from climate scientists mm-hmm. around the world yeah. um yeah. it's uh it's it seems if we, one can argue the probability of a of a doomsday scenario mm-hmm. or even of a less severe scenario uh, but as a planet can we take that risk and and if the if the ch- chances are we're not going to take that risk and then the implications are going to be on our society therefore on our economy and and capital markets how we price assets that's true i guess my response is you know one it depends on your passion right what you want to do i always say that it's it's never worth doing something that you don't love mm-hmm. and if it is ESG or if it is climate or whatever you want to call it, I mean, I don't think that's going to, like you said, the building blocks are in place, right? I don't think it's it's going to wait for anybody. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, on the passion front, uh, you know, I do believe that when you do anything for long enough and yeah. if you put your uh, heart and soul into it, uh, it I, I'm i off the camp that it does eventually okay. then become a passion. Um, okay, if you do it enough. If you do anything, Okay. anything you know with put paying you paying full attention to it being fully involved okay. this is maybe the the meditator in me that's coming alive but <laughs> I think you don't get bored <laughs> of just doing it <laughs> but i i think it uh, it creates a virtuous cycle and and i when you do something mm-hmm. for that long uh if you can um the the passion comes from the excitement of discovering new things and adding value to a space uh, that needs more talent. Um, so I, I hope it is sustainability for a lot of the people listening yeah. because we need more diverse talent yes. in this space. Yes. Uh, but yeah, wh- how do you see that on your team, like in terms of passion versus seeing this just as a great uh, career opportunity? So I speak for myself and maybe a couple <laughs> of others, if, if I may. I think most of us have entered it because that's something that we see as either the next frontier, but also something that aligns with what we want to do. Like, I'll give you my example, right? I did my undergrad in business, even though I always wanted to do something in environmental sciences or something social related. And I did business because at that point, people told me that, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to hug a tree. <laughs> and so I I, I, yeah. I fell under that pressure and I did my undergrad in business and I don't regret it one bit. But after that, I said enough is enough, right? Um, forget this. I'm just going to do what I want. And I transitioned into some kind of a research role. This was back in India. And then doing my master's, I think I realized that I love data. 
and that transitioned into at that point I thought I could do either like data was associated with either finance or engineering I mean now I realize that's very limited especially as you laid out all the options <laughs> but uh, I was like I'm not an engineer and that's how I landed up in finance so I think you know it's it's it it comes from that from that passion and I want to add that I feel like when people early on in their career come and they are not able to demonstrate that in an interview I don't know about you but I find it quite a bit of a red flag and I know that's that's a very common statement to make but very often you know if I if I ask a candidate can you tell me you know top ESG themes or something like that and the response is oh I don't know my day job is not ESG in my mind completely out I, I think and you know maybe you can discount it a little bit more for uh, individuals just coming out of college but for mid-career professionals and and even young professionals if if you're pursuing a specific opportunity especially a, a space like this that is yeah. so coveted you have to come with that demonstration of interest in the topic right? right and there's there's so much information out there right I think that so say you're doing finance right for a year maybe and you want to you want to gain that ESG expertise or you want to you know, get a career on ESG or sustainability. I feel like if you're not reading that about reading about that on the side or doing it, I'm not really sure you're interested. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing I think the other piece about this shine, which may be also a reason why you and I and and many others in our space um, are tough interviewers, yeah. is is because it, you need a, a pretty thick skin to be in this space. Sure. Um, not just recently with the the you know the backlash in the U.S., but um, from day one. I mean, I I went to a business school that's mm. considered like the West Point of capitalism, yeah. and when I graduated <laughs> and said I was going to go work for a family foundation on on you know doing sustainability and and impact investing. Um, I was ridiculed by a few people because okay. it just wasn't seen as a commercial enough career and it was not it was uh, well how is this relevant and have you not read all the works sure. of Milton Friedman and going back to Adam Smith and you know I was not an economist but I did eventually read up on all their work and any I perhaps for another conversation it's not inconsistent with uh, the principles of ESG right. and and stakeholder capitalism um uh, I think those individuals might be turning in their grave now with how we've misinterpreted <laughs> their findings. Um, but but I think that um, you do have to um, you do have to be able to demonstrate that resilience yeah. and and that and that re- that also comes from being able to demonstrate such a strong interest and hunger in learning about these issues and where they're starting to impact uh, different aspects of industry and, and markets. True. And I think that also speaks to your previous point of being able to speak to both worlds, right? I'm sure when somebody, yeah. when they told you that, you were able to give a good enough response. And well, you can see where you've reached in your career now. But I think it's that being able to speak to you know the finance world and the ESG world that can get you out of that sticky, tricky <laughs> situation a bit. Uh, but Nikita, I want to get to the second career stage or or sort of the career transition. You know, the mid-career person who maybe has quite a bit of work under their belt, and they discover they realize that their passion is ESG or sustainability. What is that 
sweet spot in the transition? What is the best advice you would give them in order to enable that transition? I think, and you know, careers can be quite tricky depending on how the markets are, you know, how um, the different regions are performing economically. Yeah. So uh, context really matters. So it's hard to, um, I often feel uh, it's difficult for me to give advice with sure. because it's not blanket advi- yeah. advice. Yeah. But I think if, if we go back to that T that we described in the early professionals um, uh, section, um, focusing on one of those areas that helps you transfer your skills. Mm. So if you have a depth in one particular functional area and the example we were talking about then I think was uh, auditing, yes. for example. And let's say you have done traditional you know, audit work at, EY for many years and you're really interested in sustainability uh, you can think about pivoting into sustainability focused audits where maybe it's auditing uh, the sustainability reports of corporations like their TCFD reports and um, maybe their regulatory filings that they have to do Um, or you can look into traceability audits for supply chains which are now you know going to potentially become mandatory in Europe uh, with certain regulations like the nature restoration law. So really leveraging your core skill set, whether it's accounting, legal, finance, marketing, into sustainability is probably one of the best ways Mm. that you can do that. And that also provides you with an opportunity to, yes, learn on somebody else's dime. Yeah. But then you're giving something, you're giving them value back through your functional skill set. So it, it's it's sure. an even exchange. Sure. So it comes back to that core functional skill set, which isn't ESG related. It, it is, you know, accounting or finance or quantitative analysis, things like that. That makes sense. I think what I've found to be useful or what I've been told is useful is trying to transition within your organization. Like I know that those options are not there Always for everybody, there, yeah. right? But for those that it is there, maybe just you know doing a voluntary project on the side or just talking to somebody and everybody likes a couple of hands on the job, right? So getting, getting your hands dirty in some way, even if it's, you know, you start with 100% of your job being non-ESG, even if you can move to 20% of your job being ESG, I think that's, enough of a leverage along with some other things to pivot into that transition I yeah, don't know if that I completely with agree you. with that like it's and it's such a safe way for you to do it yes. as well right yeah. for your own yeah. career you're not taking yeah. a major risk that's true and what about maybe this is a hard question but what about seasoned professionals right people with decades and decades of of work experience and You know, they're asking themselves the question, what next, be it a new role, a new leadership opportunity, or even just upskilling? Yeah, I think that's the key word that I often think about, even in my own context, right? I feel like I have... Um, focused on so many different ESG issues over time, Um, maybe a little bit more so on on the climate side and uh, because of being a fundamental analyst covering renewable energy companies. Uh, But when I think about the next stage for myself or my peers, it's about upskilling, whether functionally, so 
taking a class in data science or trying to understand new visualize, visualization techniques like Tableau or something. Yeah. Um, or it could be in subject on the subject matter front. So I know a number of very seasoned ESG professionals these days who are taking classes, uh, you know, at night on climate science. Hmm. Uh, one of them's pursuing a PhD that's trying oh, wow. to look at. I just I met this uh, really amazing individual the other day. And um, she's an ESG research analyst at a very large uh, asset manager. And she's pursuing a PhD um, that's looking at how to leverage AI for identifying physical risks of wow. climate change. That's some serious um, So, yeah, <laughs> um, I, you know, lots of um, amazing people in the space to look up to. Um, okay. But uh, n- not everyone has time for all those things. Sure. Uh, but taking time out to read the latest uh, thought leadership from you know across uh, across industry and and markets, I think, is one really good way to keep up to speed, keep up with the with the evolving s- landscape here. That makes sense. And Nikita, you once told me, and, and this is going to get a bit more of a personal question, but you told me once that your career is never linear, right? Is there anything in particular that has helped you or you know anything that you've seen others do that you just think could help navigate something in in sustainability? Yeah, I think this is really important because you know often you hear from people on podcasts or um, in magazine articles on all those you know fortune lists uh, that uh, seem very successful and you assume that they've had a very linear path to get there. But in actuality, when you speak with with them or you unpack people's careers, you realize they're. Um, and Sheryl Sandberg, I remember, say, said this once uh, at a gathering, uh, where our careers should be thought of much more as jungle gyms than <laughs> than ladders, right? Because there's so much in your career that is outside your control. How your firm does, how the markets yeah, do, yeah. and then in your personal life, the responsibilities that you might be given, whether in the form of aging parents, your children, your spouse. Um, your your personal financial situation mm-hmm. so things you, most things are not in your control uh, i would argue 90 90% of your life is probably not in your control um for those of you who really like uh, want to read more about that i i would recommend uh, you know modern stoicists and their books which are i think do a great job uh, but coming back to careers um if if you recognize that then you build for the long term and you're not building for the next step up or the next rung of the mm-hmm. ladder so you're building for long term knowledge long term skills and long term relationships and that also helps you just find more meaning and happiness in day to day from my perspective um i you know my story i don't think when i look back it's easy to join the dots but you know i did take a job at a family foundation after yes. business school as i mentioned and it was definitely not the best paying job one could get i probably could have made multiples of that working in traditional private equity yeah. or a hedge fund but i felt like at that time it was the most i would learn about esg and working with uh, rock stars at that foundation who were really kind of at the cutting edge of what esg and impact investing was about um kate star clara miller mm-hmm. you know individuals like that um i think i've learned more for, for worth more than a lifetime's worth of knowledge in this space having worked there and it's more than paid back in the opportunities down the road i would have never been here had i not taken that job at that mm-hmm. point in time 
And I've had similar experiences on my team where there was an individual who's no longer on my team, uh, but for good reasons. You know, he was uh, he worked in sales at a very large uh, investment bank, wanted to pivot into sustainability, uh, took a significant pay cut to come join our team, uh, worked extremely hard came up the uh, you know learning curve very quickly, um, built his resume, built his knowledge base, and in a couple of years left to join a very large asset owner that is focused on uh, you know the very area he wanted to build his career in, which was climate and, and stewardship. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's a great that's example good. also, right, of um, it, one of the phrases I, I think back to often is sometimes you need to step back to leap forward. And, and that's important to, yeah. to remember as well. That's that's very true, and I guess just as we as we start to wrap up, I'd love to understand what you think are some either resources or some certifications that can help people qualify themselves. And I know there are a lot, so maybe what you think to be the most useful. Yeah, I mean, I think Shine, I should pop that answer back to you because I remember <laughs> you had some good suggestions. Maybe you can start, and I'll sure. Add. So. I know a couple of members of my team have done the CFA ESG certification. Going back to, you know, being able to speak to both worlds, I do feel like if you want to be at a financial organization, you're interested in finance, I would just go back to the bare CFA. It's going to make your life hell for three years, but <laughs> it's worth but it. It, it, it is worth it. I think there are a number of interesting reads, like I feel like PRI has a... Um, has a big long it's it's sort of a book maybe but it's called the analyst guide to equity investments and it mm-hmm. just goes case study case study and it has some fantastic ideas for ID generation or things you can you know relate to when you're thinking about what you want to do uh, those are my and then of course a master's in sustainability I'll shout out to Columbia where <laughs> I did it yes. from uh, but there are so many. And then, of course, the SASB certification, which I think focuses a little more on, on materiality. So those would be my, what I would lean towards if I were doing it, I guess. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add. I think those are really like the best resources to go to. And uh, one not necessarily being better than the other, yeah. just depending on your time commitment. I will say I've had, you know, my we've built out our team at Lazard over the last five years uh, from a two-person team to a 14-person team. Okay. And uh, many of the candidates that we interviewed who came through the process to the, you know, top choices were often individuals with their master's in sustainability, often from Columbia. So shout out to their, their program. They certainly have a really good program and a strong program and alumni base. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, so it depends on the time you have and the financial resources sure, to, to sure. put towards it. Sure. And then Nikita, my last question, I know you're a big avid reader. So I want your top three book recommendations in the space and then just any closing thoughts you might have. Oh, three is very hard. Uh, <laughs> I came with a longer list. Um, but I would say, so on the climate front, uh, you know, just from a basic standpoint, if you want to get like lay of the land, what are the key issues? How do you have an impact? How to, how to contextualize these so many different issues, hydrogen, carbon capture, renewable energy, physical risks, etc. Um, I would say John Doerr's book, Speed and Scale. Um, I'm a huge fan generally of his 
philosophy and approach to work, having uh, read and really tried to institutionalize his work within my team of the OKRs book that he's written, um, uh, Objectives and Key Results. So he applies the same OKR methodology to speed and scale, as he says, like, how do we identify the most essential, uh, well, the key problems in climate change, and then the most essential solutions to mitigating them. Uh, So it's a really good read. Another great read is Bill Gates' book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, uh, which also kind of breaks down the challenges and uh, different technologies that one can, uh, you know, use to address them. Um, on the generally on sustainability, if you're feeling, you know, very uh, depressed from all the news you read on how bad things are, um, I would recommend the book Factfulness by Hans Rosling. It's um, from a, more than a few years ago, but a really good book that delves into just how much progress we have made as a planet on um, socioeconomic development, on health outcomes. And, and it's, a, it's a bit of a, you know, just a, a nice antidote to the, the negative yeah. rhetoric sometimes that's out there to realize that progress uh, yes is slow but over over multiple decades it's uh, we've made substantial progress and then um, lastly I would say on the social front uh, there's a professor at MIT Zanep Tan who has really done uh, some amazing work uh, research that she then published in a book called the good jobs strategy and often when we get into, uh, you know, situations uh, of uh, social issues, related issues, uh, we tend to have a, a political view about it or a moral stance about it. But she makes a very, uh, you know, commercial economic argument for why worker rights and and providing workers with quote unquote good jobs is a good business strategy over the long term. So that would be my list. Wonderful. Nikita, thank you so much. This has been <laughs> insightful. It's There's been a lot of food for thought. I think the biggest thing I took away was that D, that functional skill set that you need as you advance your career for, you know, research around ESG, for, for more information uh, and a whole other array of topics. Please feel free to visit our research dashboard, BI space ESG on the Bloomberg Terminal. If you have any ESG quandary or burning question you would like to ask our BI expert analysts, please feel free to send us an email at esggardens at bloomberg.net. Thank you. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.